listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Now, in so many ways, uh, Palm Sunday is a familiar time, right? We hit it every year. We know what's going to take place. This is Palm Sunday. This week, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He, he cleanses the temple. He, he inaugurates the Lord's Supper and says, you know, this is my body and this is my blood. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's tried. He's, he's convicted. And on come Friday, he's executed. And that's the story. We get to Holy Saturday, and there's silence. And then next week, of course, is Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. So on the one hand, this is so familiar, and it's good for us to kind of rehearse this story. On the other hand, I think it's a story that we don't need to just keep rehearsing, but we also need to kind of revisit with some fresh eyes. Because I think in a lot of ways, we're missing this story. When Jesus rode in on that colt, and they were laying palm branches around and waving palm branches and singing Hosanna, he wasn't happy about that. He did not experience that as a positive thing. So when we wave our palm branches and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, we're behaving like the crowd that drove Jesus to tears. When the crowd behaved that way, Luke will tell us that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And said, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I wish you would have followed me, but you just got whipped up into all these things. I was speaking about this text with our friend uh, Chris Green this week, and we were reflecting on this reality that this story is not about Jesus versus the devil. This is not a story about Jesus versus evil. I mean, ironically, really, because the Gospel of Mark had been filled with those sorts of stories until we get here. From from Mark 11 on, from once Jesus goes into Jerusalem, there is no mention of the devil. There is no mention of a demon. There is no mention of evil. So what, what caused all this thing? I mean, the Gospel starts off like right out of the box, like boom. Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's being tempted by the devil. But the devil's devil's no threat to Jesus. He overcomes temptation. And once he's overcome temptation in the wilderness, Jesus is at work in Galilee. He's in Capernaum. He's over in Nazareth. He's on the move. He's he's going north to, to Tyre, which is like up in Lebanon. He's going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's healing the sick, and he's casting out demons. Like the very first thing he does after calling his disciples is he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and a man with an unclean spirit comes in and Jesus is like, we're not going to have any of that. Unclean spirits, got to go. And unclean spirits, got to shut up. And then he, then he heals um, Peter's mother-in-law. Right? They get there and his, Peter's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus raises her up and she serves them. That's, you know, raising her up and serves them. You know, <clears throat> in my context, living with my wife and six daughters, sometimes, you know, we hear that text 
that the mother-in-law is, is, is healed just in time to serve Jesus and the other boys their dinner? Sound, sounds a little suspicious. <laughs> but I, but I, I think the, the story takes on a different tone if you realize that that word for service is a very technical word for Mark. The angels served Jesus in the temptation. Jesus himself says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then the only people who are said that they serve are this mother-in-law. And at the very end of the gospel, Mary, Mary, and Salome are said to be amongst these women who have served, followed, and served Jesus. It's a, it's a statement of discipleship. But in any case, at the heels of that, Jesus is going out, and, he's, and now it's a, it's a conglomerate. It's a cluster of things that are taking place. So he's, he's cast out this one demon. He's healed this one sickness. And then it says, they brought all those who were sick and all those who were oppressed uh, by the demons. And Jesus healed the sick, and he cast out the demons. And it just goes again and again and again. The stories just kind of come like in rapid fire. Jesus is calming the storm. He's walking on the water. He's feeding the 5,000. He's feeding the 4,000. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And then he gets to Jerusalem. And when he comes to Jerusalem, the problem is not evil out there somewhere. The problem is just is not reducible even to some large category of the sin of humanity. And this is the indictment that I think we all have to face. Regular folks just had Jesus put to death. What he's up against is jealousy. What he's up against is greed. What he's up against is religious superiority. He's up against the fear of folks and the politics of folks. Like what Jesus is facing that week is what we engage in all the time. Jesus comes and no one does anything to help. Right? Like that crowd that cried Hosanna in another couple chapters, the crowd in Mark's gospel are crying crucify him, crucify him. Now historically, we don't know for sure whether or not it's exactly the same crowd. But it is exactly the same word in Mark's gospel. The crowd shouts Hosanna. The crowd shouts crucify him. Now certainly there would have been some of his followers who would not have, you know, shouted crucify him. It's not like Peter was for the crucifixion. Right? I mean, he, he didn't do anything to stop it. Outside of cutting off the ear of the high priest. And then there's that rather embarrassing story that... Uh, the young boy who was with them ran away naked. Do you, do you know that part of the story? It's in Mark's gospel. At, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying with the disciples. Judas brings, brings the Roman soldiers and the, the Jewish authority, and they all kind of, um, kind of ambush Jesus a bit there in Gethsemane. Peter thinks, I got this covered, pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of this one guy who is a servant of the high priest, Interesting, if Peter's going to save Jesus, he didn't, cut, he didn't use his sword to cut off the ear of a Roman soldier, <laughs> right? He cuts off the ear 
of some poor dude who's just a servant in the high priest's house. And Jesus is like, ah, Peter has to heal a guy's ear. And then right after that, it says, there was this young boy, and he'd been following Jesus, and he just had on a towel, and he's he's running away, and the towel got caught in the tree, and so he just ran away naked. I have seen a lot of passion plays in my life. I have never seen one with a streaker. And for that, I'm grateful. I'm not saying we should have one. But I'm saying that the, the, the nakedness of, of that boy is kind of the nakedness that we all experience in the face of this story because there, while maybe not everybody said crucify him, there's no one in the text that said don't crucify him. I mean, maybe Judas is the one who's most guilty of turning Jesus over, but we don't see anyone in the story actually trying to stop the crucifixion. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus will, will kind of, they're obviously not for it, and, you know, they, they make arrangement for Jesus' you know, appropriate burial so that, you know, he can be remembered and respected. But I have to imagine that ex- except for maybe Caiaphas and, you know, Herod and Pilate, most of the people probably respected Jesus. Most of them would have said, what a good guy. Too bad he was just a little too radical. What a nice fella. You know, I heard him teach once. It was really impressive. But, you know, if you kick against against the system, you know what's going to happen. I mean, what else could they do? It's going to cause a revolt. And so we find ourselves on this day needing to be reminded that the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, which is the kingdom, or the, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that. The kingdom that the folks who are waving those palm branches, the kingdom that they wanted was a nationalistic kingdom. The palm branch was a symbol of Judaism. It was a symbol of we're going to be free from Rome. We're not going to have to put up with Caesar. We're not going to have to put up with Pilate. And here's our guy. And here comes Jesus in. No, fellas, ladies, this is, not, this is not the way. There is another way. And it's a way of sacrifice. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, If the rulers of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And later, as we get to Easter next week and as we get into our Easter series, which we've titled A More Christ-Like Way, we're going to look at all these different ways in which this story gets told, which I think is very important. I'm really excited for all of us to kind of share this story together. But as we come to these things, you know, traditionally, the palm, the palm fronds that, are, that decorate our services on Palm Sunday will later get burnt and the ashes will be saved for the following year for Ash Wednesday so that this will become the ash which will be imposed on us when we are reminded of our own finitude. From dust you shall have come to dust you shall return. It's a rhythm of life and it's a rhythm that we need to be in a rhythm that I think is expressed not just in the annual events, but 
expressed every day, like these reoccurring things that we have year after year, um, Epiphany and Ash Wednesday and, and Lent and Passion Week, Palm Sunday and Easter and the like, are to remind us of a story that God is telling, but it's a story that comes to us and critiques us and then saves us. It doesn't leave us like we were, right? It transforms us into something new. And that something new that it transforms us into is, is the very image and likeness of Jesus himself. This is what our weekly services are intended to do. To, to practice the faith. Like, we come to church together and online to worship God. But that worship of God, it has a rhythm. Like, it has a rhythm every much as the annual calendar has one. And maybe we should talk about it more so you'll understand what it is that we're doing when we do it. Like, every Sunday morning uh, service has four main parts. Uh, it has, has an entrance and an exit, and those are actually two of the main parts. And then it has two central parts. One we call the Word, right? It's part of what we're doing now. And the other is the table. And so the entrance is, it actually starts on Saturday. Like, hopefully, all of you, at some point along the day yesterday, thought, oh, tomorrow, Sunday, I'll go to church. And that on the Saturday, when you're thinking about going to church, that's a kind of a preparation of your heart, of your soul, for what you're about to do. Like, tomorrow, I'm going to set you know, particular time aside to be with my brothers and sisters and to worship God. And so we open the doors, and you come in, and you hear a psalm, and that psalm is a call to worship. And, and we close the doors. We don't, we don't lock them. We're not a cult. But we do close the doors. The idea that when the doors are closed, that this is now a sanctuary. This is a safe place. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. Here, you're a child of God. Here, your confessed sins are forgiven. This is a safe place to hear a very challenging message like your own, you're complicit in your own sense of, of, of greed and fear and self-preservation in the very crucifixion of the Lord of glory. That's, that's not necessarily like an upper. But that, that call to worship, right, is then opened up. And the word is not just the sermon. The word would include the songs we sing, like, those are beautiful songs today. Not just beautiful songs, but beautiful messages, too. Um, I'm, forgetting, I'm forgetting the particular lyrics that I'm, I'm trying to recall at the moment. It was the first song, Carol, and it was about, God, help me. Nope, it was the second song then. <laughs> yeah, and he's coming down and... Yeah, thanks. Sorry. I'll just do it again. Okay. I might, I might have you do that again. 
Um, we sing those songs. We read the scriptures. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but we actually had a shift in how we read scriptures at Oasis. It used to be that whoever's preaching would just kind of read some scriptures as to whatever they're going to preach on. But we shifted, and now every time, every Sunday, we have someone from the congregation read the text that we'll preach on. And that's very intentional because the texts don't belong to me. The scriptures are the word for the people. And so they're read by the people so that the people can hear it. That's, that's intentional. So the, there's the songs, there's the scriptures, there's the sermon. And that's, that's the first bit, right? That's the word. So there's the entrance in the word. And then what happens? Well, then we kind of transition to the table, but the table kind of ends in the actual receiving of the communion, but it starts with a few other things. You've heard me say before that when we come to the table, the elements of the table aren't simply grapes and grain. They are bread and wine. They're not just natural things. They're things that have to be made. And they're made with, with the work of people. People have to take grain and make it into bread. And they take the grapes and they make it into wine or juice, right? And so, th literally, worship, liturgy, is the work of the people. And so, the table starts with uh, our offerings. Like, offering is a form of worship. We've been working all week, or for those of us who are paid bi-monthly, uh, all month, right? And we bring our gifts to, to, the, to the house of God. So we're bringing our gifts. It's a, it's a time of giving. But then we say prayers. Our, and the prayers that we pray are now, it's not a pastoral prayer, it's the prayers of the people. We call it that. Prayers of the people. And they're prayers that are reflections on the scriptures that have been read, on the themes that the sermon's going to be on, but on larger things, things that are happening in our lives, things that are happening in our town, our cities, our county, our country, our world. We pray for them. Because to follow God is to care for them. And then there's, there's, one, there's one more kind of experience of giving uh, before we experience the receiving of the communion, and that's the grace and peace. This is, it's a time, and I know COVID's thrown a real wrench in it for us, right? Because we, we try to wear a mask and stay apart from one another. But the, the time of grace and peace theologically is a certain practice. That is, we're not going to come, we're not actually going to come all the way to the table unless we've cleared the air and there is no enmity between us. When we offer, when we say to someone, the grace of the Lord to you, or peace be with you, or the, the peace of God, how you doing? It's good to see you, right? We, we answer a question about you know, what we're going to do on, on Good Friday or, or who we're going to invite 
on, on, on Easter Sunday, right? We share things. But that, that sharing is a part of, right, the prayers of the people, the offerings, the grace and peace. These are all acts of giving that we do as we approach the table in which we receive the ultimate gift, which is the body and blood of Christ, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the transformation. And then when we, then when we do get that, there's one last step. Like, we're not done when we say, um, this is my blood which is shed for you, take and drink. That's not the end because there's one more significant step. It's very short, but it's an important one. And it's the exit. The benediction that's kind of prayed both kind of for you and kind of at you, <laughs> right? Kind of over you. That what we've heard, what we've confessed, what we've learned, what we've practiced in our, our giving of our resources and our and our graciousness and peace and the prayers that we've offered for one another in the world and what we've received particularly in the communion itself is now we are prepped to kind of go out into the world. Because Christianity doesn't kind of start and stop between 10 and 11, 15 on Sunday mornings. This is where we come to worship God and, and rehearse this uh, way of living in the world, of, of worship and singing and praise and listening to scripture and sermons and, and praying and giving and graciously sharing with one another peace. But then going out into the world to be that peace, to be that agent of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Again, Paul will refer to us as members of the body of Christ so that we are the body of Christ in the world. And that, that, that makes all the difference. That's what we are to do. And we can do it in significant ways, and we can do it in ways that may seem insignificant, but they're not. Because in the, in the rhythms of those practices, we are kind of shaped. Our, in the same way our muscles have memories, our spirits kind of have memories. And when we rehearse these things over and over, they can, they can, take, they can take us and form us and to the type of people who live the faith. And we've been saying this at Oasis for years and years and years and years and years. As long as Oasis has been around. We want Oasis to be a place where you can meet God and know God and grow in your relationship with God. Oasis is to be just that. An oasis. A place where you can come and be refreshed and receive what you need. But that's, that's not the end, right? That's the beginning. Because once you're refreshed, it's time to go out and share that refreshment with others. And that's exactly what I want you all to do.
So this is Palm Sunday. And we're getting ready to um, pray those prayers. <laughs> we're going to uh, receive um, an offering. We're going to share our grace and peace. We're going to come to the table. And then we're going to go. And this week, this is a big week. Maybe it's the biggest week, right? In the, in the annual calendar of Christianity. Uh, Friday, we have, um, we have the way of the cross where you can come and reflect. It's self-guided and it's just here in the sanctuary. It's a beautiful experience. Saturday is the extravaganza, which uh, you'll hear about more here in a minute. Uh, and then next Sunday is Easter. And my hope is that you wouldn't just make plans to come, but that you would share that with someone else. With a neighbor, with a family member, with a coworker, with a classmate, whoever it may be. Invite them to come. Or if they, they, they coming's not a good option for them because we're not quite out of the COVID yet, share with them the link. The worship companion. Let them know that there is uh, a church that's going to share with them the good news. It's going to help them practice and live the gospel. And invite them. I mean, don't, don't try to proselytize them from some other church. Like, uh, don't go to that church, come to our church. That's not our goal. But if, if they're not going somewhere, or if, if they, especially if they've been hurt, if they find themselves on kind of the margin of our society in some shape or form, then by all means, let them come to Oasis. Let them know the truth of the gospel. Let them come out of the shadows and into the marvelous light. It's what we're here for. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.